Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in contributing to this program or making a donation to help support it, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com. You'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, I guess for today is the author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us, Jared Murphy. Hey, everybody. How's it going, Gary? <laughs> pretty good man pretty good hanging in we there we just don't we don't we don't have a thing yet we need to have like a some sort of ed mcmahon uh johnny carson sort of intro for for ourselves here and here's jared hey i don't <laughs> golf but here's something funny about golfing yeah <laughs> <laughs> My God, that just dated us. <laughs> right now, now, people know her old. <laughs> um, no, Insta Snapbook Chat, LOL, TikTok. <laughs> Still sounds old. <laughs> right? I tried to come up with, like, what's the biggest acronym that I could come out to make it look like a loser geek? Insta Snapbook Chat Book. Insta Snapbook <laughs> Chat. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, yeah, you know, It's Not Aliens is still in a revision, for everyone wondering. I am um, actually going to release, I'm continuing to release audio chapters on my member area of notaliens.com. I'm definitely asking people to sign more up on the YouTube channel, despite the Rockfin channel, which I don't have as much free content on the Rockfin channel, but I am moving more towards affiliate work. So I'm hoping to bring people better and better content and what we're doing, because I'm really hoping to put the burden of the cost of producing the work you and I do and what I do just all on affiliates and uh, sponsors, great sponsors of the show where we um, don't have to ask the listeners for anything other than to be entertained hmm. and uh, not there yet. But I'm not there yet either. And by the way, listeners, I am moving to the other side of the country. And if you want to donate to help me buy some gas, just go to my website. Everything imaginable 2020.com. <laughs> the show value. The show value is so high. You just have to ask for continued. I mean, consider yourselves all independent producers and you're helping produce the next and best of what is uh, officially the top 3% of all podcasts, right? Uh, huh? Top 2% now. See? So. Really, contributions are more than welcome. Uh, you know, you'll hear us talk for hours, and the work that goes in pre and post production is actually pretty decent. Um, it's much higher than what you guys are listening to as far as producing each show. So, man, we didn't even have this planned, but um, I, I also personally appreciate everyone listening. 
uh, without you guys and without the support, we would not be able to do this. No, no. Uh, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by sometimes the support that I've received. And I'm also overwhelmed by the size of my audience, actually. I, I can't cool? believe my audience has grown so large. Isn't it great, though? It's just, it's like just, and it's, and it feels like it's been exponential the last few months, hasn't it? Yes. I mean, it's been over a year, but it's like, it feels like yesterday. It feels like this just got going. Right. I remember when I first started, I was lucky to get 30 downloads a day. And now I can get a thousand. So, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. And everyone listening, it's like, there's, there's really so much. I mean, really, we are in a renaissance of information. It's not just regurgitated like 15 minutes of information on a new history show channel. And I like the history channel. I like history, too. I mean, I like all that stuff. But I felt like for years, you know, you turn on the television and it was the same World War II footage. You know, it's like the identical clip, but with a different voiceover. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the Great Pyramid. We won't know now and we won't know in an hour what we're talking about, you know, <laughs> and it's like, oh, and it, it got so desperate for a while. It was like, you know, you'd watch a show and you're like, oh, wow, that's the same place. But it the slightly different camera angle. And I'm seeing one new thing I've never seen before. And then you're like, well, at least that was new, you know, <laughs> and I I feel like these shows are way better. These shows are um, more in depth. They take more time on each subjects. Uh, to really unpack the things that we're interested in. And I do think there's something to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, for- you know, I was watching one of those shows last night. I was on um, Amazon Prime and I was watching, um, I think it was called like UFOs and Volcanoes. <laughs> and, and it was, How and why? And, and they were pulling clips God, that were like 20 years old from uh, Stephen Bassett and... Um, what was that guy's name? Randall something. I interviewed. I've, I've interviewed them both on my show. Randall Actually, Carlson? No, no. Oh. Um, Who's this? I don't know. I forget his name off the top of my head. But there was two. There were people that I've interviewed, but these clips were like twenty years old. But but the show was like made like six months ago. <laughs> wait, wait. Was UFOs and volcanoes together in one show? Yeah. Oh, like Godzilla versus King Kong, bad. I I mean, I think there is a connection, and I actually think that you know this is one of those connections that sort of directly applies to your theory about you know the aliens actually being humans and living beneath the earth, and possibly using volcanoes as entrances and exits. Um. Okay, so. Active or inactive volcanoes are they theorizing on the show? Active. I'm willing to hear more. They're active volcanoes. So, so they're flying through. They're flying the in and out of hot lava. That is some serious Johnny Quest stuff going on right there. That is Johnny Quest. That's like bandit and race banner, 1950s, 60s sci-fi stuff there. I I mean, it's possible. I mean, what, what, what do they give as evidence? Uh, I'm just curious. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, very vi- curious. Videos, camera footage. Um, okay. Like if you Google um, UFOs and volcanoes, or even UFOs and earthquakes and different tectonic plates, you'll, you'll find patterns in it. Yep. So just to out myself for everyone, 
I did the district, I won the district science fair top ribbons every year in a row. I did earthquakes one year, tornadoes another, and lasers the third year. Very into plate tectonic shifting. I even built a little city and it all cracked and fell apart <laughs> and stuff fell in the inside and buildings collapsed. I did the whole thing. That's pretty cool. Nerds. Are you going to remake that? That's, I kind of want to. That could be a good YouTube episode. Ooh, that was fun. So I'm not opposed to, I mean, if, if the high pressure of underwater, you know, everyone talks about the most unexplored area of our planet being, you know, deep sea and that the, you know, our vehicles, our ability to go underwater at those deep leagues are such that, you know, mostly everything we create will turn into a crushed pop, you know, crushed pop can if we go to the bottom of the ocean. So whether a advanced ancient human vessel is flying through magma, which would be no different than extreme temperatures in space and near suns, I would think that, you know, just going in the water isn't any easier because we keep, you know, there's all these sightings around Lake Titicaca in South America and uh, off the coast. I mean, like, for those that are UFO watchers and they're, you know, and Michael Hall and I on Spaced Out Radio for a long time, I would hear his UFO reports before we would get going on our monthly episodes. And uh, there was always a sighting off the coast of California. There, there's regular locations. And so clearly their, technolo- their technology is allowing them to enter and exit really, really deep, deep areas of the ocean you know, it's maybe they're acting like submarines and only submersing a few hundred feet or a thousand feet or, you know, but, uh, you know, if they're capable of going through magma, are they capable of, are they, I don't know, are they entering underwater volcanic areas? Are they doing it after maintaining control through like extreme pressures of the deep sea and, and t- on top of it, then they're going into a, a liquid i mean we're not going into liquid magma i mean there there's a big barrier to entry i actually have a whole new theory on this that i came up with today oh let's hear it all right so i was interviewing um his name is sunbo true brother and he has a book about um communicating with sasquatch with uh telepathically what Sunbo was talking about, though, <laughs> is... I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going. Check this out, though. The guy was brilliant because, you know, 99% of matter is empty space, okay? Yep. And as a result of that, the smallest thing, the closest thing that with the dark matter that we know of are neutrinos, which are constantly flying right through all the solid stuff. That, everything that we perceive as solid is being penetrated by neutrinos and are completely unaffected by it. So what yep. I think is maybe these objects somehow when can can go from, you know, subatomic to neutrino atomic matter and go right through solid things like magma, water, and all that and not be affected. I mean, there, there is a duality of spaces. You know, we have all these waves and frequencies that don't affect us that are, you know, the earth is filtering some stuff. We're being bombarded or uh, we're sharing. Yeah, we're sharing physical space with a lot of other, um, I guess, 
subatomic, you know, the, the jury's out on whether or not there is a duality between particles and waves, or if it really is all toroidal fields, frequency energy, that it's so interesting. I, I'm still like Dr. Richard Allen Miller. I'm not, I'm not hearing. It seems like those that grew up with the idea of that particles and waves can be, um, simultaneous existing i don't know if it's true but all of it is traveling in and through and sharing the same atomized space so it is that part's fascinating so what do you think it's more like a so i guess for a sci-fi movie we're basically describing so, so, so let's say for, let's say for example the particle actually does not exist this is kind of what Sunbow was saying. The particle does not exist. The particle only appears as a particle once it slows down to a speed slower than the speed of light. And then light hits it and it bounces off and it appears to be a particle. So even though it appears to be a particle, it's still part of that wave. Hmm. So there are no particles. Everything is a waveform. And this also uh, comes up like in the remote viewing thing that we'll, we'll get to. I, I, I agree. I don't think from the research, and that was even three years ago, three, three, four years ago, I don't think there's no way that it's a, I, I just don't see a duality. I, I do think Ken Wheeler's work is dead on. I, I, and it took me a long time to decide that, he wasn't nuts because um, it, it's such a complex subject, the idea of the duality of waves and particles and learning Tesla's position on Einstein being a fuzzy-haired crackpot and really understanding the theory of relativity in Tesla's perspective and Steinmetz's work and the stuff that I really got introduced to by you know, our early electrical theory, the whole reason we have electricity, I mean, it's Steinmetz and the theories around currents and how we really even established the electromagnetic system we have now that the whole cult of bumping particles, I, it, it took me a long time to go, okay, let's unpack this beyond in search of Schrodinger's camp and quantum mechanics. And what do we what are we talking about when we say, okay, waves are particles, particles are waves. They can be either depending on how they're feeling that day. It's like, I don't know if that's true. And I just took it for granted that it would be true because I'm like, why would they put that down if it's all theoretical? And well, I feel like it is kind of leaning more and more and more wave frequency only and not, it's just a misunderstanding. Like uh, the theory, it took me a while to even accept that, wait, the story behind the electron is that it's a theoretical particle and it doesn't really exist except they offered them a they offered him a, a a Nobel Prize for it. And so he's like, okay, yeah, the electron's a real deal. Um oh God, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, either way, it's not uh we're not uh dealing with uh, whether it's a particle or a wave we're not dealing with a, a space where we're only experiencing a one thing. Basically our mind space for everybody. I mean, I guess it could be our whole body, but just for the sake of dialogue, our mind space is occupied by more than what we're holding within our consciousness. Oh, absolutely. And it does. I mean, I mean, we've talked about this with Dr. Richard Allen Miller, but 
then it makes you wonder and the whole idea of positive thinking and the secret and all these other things where it's like how much really does manifestation your very thoughts create entity i have a whole nother theory on that too that i learned through this remote viewing course actually it's a different explanation for this positive thing again the idea of the law of attraction is again an erroneous um observation according to um david morehouse he has a theory where and i've also heard his other theories where where all these realities are nothing but a bunch of mathematical probabilities so 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 you have this infinite amount of probability okay okay and when you direct your mind in a certain way right if i'm starting to think like well, okay i just want to do this i just want to do this what you're doing is you're narrowing down the probabilities that your consciousness is going to head into. So it's not necessarily a law of attraction. What you're doing is shrinking down the amount of probabilities to the desired result. So you're not actually attracting it. What you're doing is you're, is you're heading in a certain direction towards a certain group of probabilities. To me, that makes a lot more sense, too. Because it's, ma- it's, it's very mathematical. Well, I think that's... I think. I think math, there's always this conversation where math and nature aren't the same. And I think one of the things that we're going to learn the more we go at this is that the math and nature are the same thing. There isn't nature without math. It's, it, it, you know, we can all go bananas about the Fibonacci sequence, but the, you know, I, I think they're one entity. So I don't think there's this logical side and then this like, Everything is like water and just rando. Well, but there's structure in all of nature. And so I think math is the universal language and it's not one that's without soul. It's not one without feeling, but I do think it's a, it, it's a complex subject because I don't think math is a, a simple matter of uh, geometry or, or straight arithmetic or, quadratic equations or oh no no it's nothing that's humanly comprehensible yet no i think we're touching on it like we're starting to understand egan values where you know we're starting to get a handle on um the volume math and whatever you know there's a lot of different ways that we we're using math but it's it's always so often described as a separate entity from nature when in reality i think it's the very foundation of what nature nature is math so it's yeah i I mean that's what sacred geometry is all about yeah i like to just that just drives me bananas (laughs) i mean it's not my sacred cell phone with my sacred uh phone numbers and my you know it's like my 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 holy hard drive and you know I, i i do feel like we've mystified we're so far away from our full mathematical capabilities with our a fully decalcified pineal gland that I, I have a hard time. I, I love Dan Winter's work. You know Dan Winter's, right? Um, super, uh, super, super, uh, that whole idea of sacred geometry, mm-hmm. toroidal fields in the heart, the way the heart pumps, the magnetic fields around it. 
uh, he's a great guy for everyone to look up, Dan Winters. And his work is quite brilliant. And there are people, I, have, I fully accept that in the description of their sciences and, in, and what they've revealed, you know, the term comes up, sacred geometry. The, and I get that there's a, it, it's so profound, like being at the Grand Canyon for the GE Kincaid trip where the geometry is so beautiful, it feels sacred. I, I can acknowledge that. But the idea that a bunch of aliens left messages in pyramids is, I think, a, a very primitive early concept of what we were uncovering in our own reality as we, I think, grew up over the last 50 years of looking at ruins versus, you know, Flinders Petrie and the turn of the century guys that are like, well, these structures are awe-inspiring. And then, you know, you get early movies and suddenly it's like, yeah, these are, uh, you know, this is definitely aliens to oh, there's something holy and divine about them. And uh, the ancients were leaving us messages and look at how they line up with star alignments. And I think I tried to unpack that in a whole chapter on stars. And speaking of my book, it hasn't come up for a while, but the astronomy where sacred geometry, sacred star systems. And it's like, look, if you're a highly advanced ancient human race and flying in and out of lava pits, uh, you're also looking at star systems way beyond the ones in the night sky. And you might, you may have come from some star system that's behind the ones that you think primitive people are reveling over in the last, you know, post younger driest period, because that's what they can see. But early post younger driest and pre younger driest and pre Mount Toba, I think there's no way they were lining up buildings just to leave us a message about, you know, peace, love in the universe. That just, sorry, I'm on a box. I'm ranting. I just, hmm? I think it distracts from uh, this. The, I think the sacred geometry word is one of those masking items that does more harm than good. I think the beauty of the complexities of whether it's Fibonacci type, uh, you know, impressions on things. I, I do think there's a beauty in it and it's, I, I think that it's the, the sacred part has taken it over in a in more of a blinding and uninformative way. Hmm. I'm all done now. Stop. You know, you know, I was just when you when you brought up the pyramid, it made me think of what I just said about the probability thing, right? If you look at the shape of a pyramid, right, you're starting out with this wide, big base, so you have a ton of probabilities. And if it was a square, it would just stay a ton of probabilities. But you start taking all those other pieces off and make it into a pyramid, you're removing all the probabilities to reach that top capstone. True. Uh, like, I wonder, I, like, I wonder if we misread things. Oh, God, yeah, you're right. You totally. know? Yeah. Totally. Just, just like the whole wave and particle thing. If everything is just a wave and particle is just an illusion, and then we look at something like the pyramid, and we're just completely misreading what it, what it really is trying to tell us, which is if you line things up a certain way, you're going to get to a certain place, period. Well, I do think that... Um so we have the obelisk that, you know, you got videos of Brian Forster. I remember the first time, it blew my mind the first time I saw them banging their hand on obelisks, broken obelisks, mind you, not even the whole ones, but really big ones. And how all the obelisks ring. They mm -hmm. ring like bells. And 
if you're dealing like Susan, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. One of these days, Dr. Susan's last name will come to me and I wrote about her. She's the gal doing the research about screaming plants and communicating plants. And she's kind of following up with Peter Wolholan's work about. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I've tried to get her on the show a couple of times. She never responds to me. Yeah. And I'm sure the woman's busy. I mean, she's doing brilliant work. And what I found interesting was in relating it to the Great Pyramid is the uh, Egan values. They're like pi, pi, pi. They kept talking about all these different ancient structures being built on pi. Well, primarily pi is an Egan value, i.e., you know, frequencies, waves, i.e. energy. So whether it's a communication structure, an energy machine, all the above, if you have a really wide base of a pyramid that in this case, so it's taken on its own, if we learn something, it's important for us to unpack how it's... I think there's a really giant infinity loop in all of us that are always trying to figure out the who, what, where, when, and why of us and humanity and the universe. And when we plug in a new value, we reevaluate things like the pyramid. So I think your wide base idea is a great point out because the pyramid, the great pyramid in particular, you know, one, it's eight sided and mm-hmm. two, it's plugged into the base and Susan, Dr. Susan's work. I think that when we look at the, again, great pyramid, the other structures there and in our greatest antiquity, in modern times, in the 1700s, apparently there was reports that there were seven pyramids in that area, not three. There were seven. And of those, we don't, don't even know how many were like rebuilds or how many of them were original high technology with the with eight sides, like the Great Pyramid and Menkari is an eight-sided pyramid. But they're plugged into the base, and I think they're operating under very low, low, like super for all you at home that have an extra woofer uh you know a base for your speakers that's like super super bassy i think that the energy vibration that the pyramids were working at off of natural uh vibrations and energy they were able to produce uh results with a sustainability because of their size and they were carved and the base of the great pyramid is carved and plugged into the ground like a socket. A lot of people don't know that. It's as if they carved away and literally mm-hmm. socketed it in into its foundation. It's very interesting. But I do think that those Egan values aren't there because they just built it. Oh, it's exactly on the center of the earth. And it's, I don't think that was a random choice because they really cared about some googly googly eggplant god of the octopus. I don't think they were doing it for that or Orion or any of it. I think this is an energy machine. Uh, I know we're not talking about the pyramid, but in reference to the value of pi and the value of frequencies and energies in reference to the, just the, the very, very, very subtle frequencies, not magnitude earthquakes that shake down buildings, but the very, very subtle hum and drum of the earth, like Dr. Susan's work with the plants. I think that these machines were that subtle and the obelisks are were part of that system. And of course, there's machinery and things that are dusted away. But I think the missing element, I think, ties into your human abilities and specifically uh, what we were kind of touching on and what we were going to touch on was your uh, remote viewing and mm-hmm. other human tech that I think is 
programmed in us that we don't we've either mystified again we've called it sacred we've called it special but we've forgotten that it's normal day-to-day tech that we i think we constantly blended our tech with what was in the ground so i don't know on that note i mean what would it be like to be in a city where your remote viewing was amplified by uh, a base carrier wave like a plasma um, beam for like a royal rife machine is it that these pyramids or energy centers or these polygonal buildings were amplifying your sending receiving abilities you know for you to do your like what special technique do you do to like what have you learned so far about remote viewing well um the remote viewing thing is absolutely incredible one he kind of bases it on it you know just like richard allen um the idea that that the universe is a holographic matrix field and there's no such thing as time everything already exists as probabilities yeah and what they what they do in this class is the the you take somebody will take a target a picture a video or whatever assign it a four digit code and they don't tell anybody what the picture or video is and you give assign everybody that the, the give out the four digit code you follow this six stage process first you listen to this um, cooldown file which gets you into an alpha state and then you at the end you you, you do a simple drawing and write down some basic descriptions then you go and you start writing more detail and more detail and then you will draw another diagram and then you do some more detail and then you reorganize it and you create like a final product. And my first session of doing this, I was completely blown away because I nailed the freaking target. And it was something I was looking at this and I had did it. I didn't find out what it was till a week later. So for a week, I'm, I'm looking at these pictures and descriptions and I'm like, none of this shit makes any freaking sense to me. None of it, you know? Because some of the information I was getting was one I was getting like um, like this idea of like a fog or a mist, but it was salt water, but it wasn't a wave. It was like a salt water waterfall, okay? And it made absolutely no sense to me. So what the target turned out to be was them drilling an oil well in Louisiana and drilling it into a salt mine, creating a giant whirlpool. And I had drew like a picture of a whirlpool and like I totally nailed it. No it was, way. It was incredible, that's, man. It was absolutely the most amazing thing I have ever that's, seen. That's amazing. It, it it totally works. And then it really what what makes me think though, okay, everybody has this ability, all right? Anybody can do it. It's, it's not a superpower. You know, you just have to learn this structure and get yourself into an alpha state and you can do it but if i'm able to extract information from that holographic matrix field and you just mentioned it about those pyramids how much information can be pumped into it completely altering our realities how interesting reverse engineering the remote viewing and this and this stuff was designed by the government and the government knows it's real so, if I thought of it, I'm sure the government has thought of it too. 
that's what's interesting. It it feels like again we're living in this like very broken, safe moded computer. And I'm talking about from bio biotechnology, not as in one man made, but what we look out in quotes and call nature, that there is this advanced engineered planet that was terraformed and managed by a very advanced human society long gone. And now all these different features that were built into it with thousands or hundreds or hundreds of years or tens of thousands of years of planning and implementing, uh, they're picking up by banging on the blinky board. They're getting some reaction. They're getting an effect that is serving a very, you know, it, it might be a very broken purpose, but it's from from what is the machine is capable of, as in our interconnectability, collective human consciousness, who knows what, unlimited lifespans. I mean, there's a million things, but it seems like they're using these abilities for very primitively um, applicable, but evil and or clandestine, very primitive, self-serving. I mean, they're basically Fred Flintstone banging rocks together with advanced ancient capabilities. And they're, they're using it for like the dumbest stuff because, uh, you know, we're not, we don't have a secret great pyramid somewhere, right? Uh, maybe we do. I don't know. I, mean, I don't maybe. know what we have. Uh, at this point, after what I've seen with through this class and knowing where this technology came from, so nothing would you, surprise me. Is this a class anybody can take? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how did other people fare with uh, the remote? They viewing? did amazing. It works for everybody. You got to be kidding me! No, 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 not one person didn't get it out of the See, thirty-four you're, people. You're the first person to tell me like this personally. Like, other than me listening to Art Bell on Coast to Coast, this is the first time I've heard someone personally. I, I've had people who say that they have these abilities. It's not an I've ability. Not, that's the weird thing. It's not an ability. It's a technique. It is a format. And it how, works. How then? Like, it's just pen and paper and directions? It's Well, first you got to get yourself into that alpha state. And they do it through what brain entrainment? It's just a binaural beat. So is it Just like the intro hear? and outro of my podcast. Okay, but do they do it um, consciously? I mean, do they do it or do they do it sub- do they do it with a particular music? Do they, you, you, listen, how, you listen to the cool down, which is the binaural. Okay. It gets you in the alpha state. And that, at, once, you're, once you're in that alpha state, you just start writing in a certain format. I'm saying it like this for people who are interested. So if they're going to do it, I want them to be able to imagine, are they going to hear classical music or are they just going to hear like bongo? Are they going to hear two coconuts? No, no, there's none of that, man. It's just... Um, I mean, it sounds like ocean water, and then there's a little bit of a relaxation technique. is is very, very basic. It, it's very like, simple. There's nothing extravagant about it. It's 23 minutes for the the entrainment. For for the entrainment, and then the actual session after the entrainment will usually be about an hour. So, are you staying with? Are are they leaving the entrainment alpha? Are they leaving the music no, no, on? It comes. It goes off. And, so and, and, and once, once, once it's off, you're kind of moving in and out between that alpha state. So they want. It's, you it's like you have out. one foot in alpha, 
and one foot in, I don't know, whatever the normal state is, beta. So it's intentional. Yeah. They're keeping you flipping between the two once they get you there. Because mm-hmm. they need you to see it from both sides. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they, 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 they need you to see it from both sides. And then what's the next step? Uh, the next step, the, the first step is drill simple. You, you, you write down your coordinate code and you draw a line. And then you put your pen on different spots of the line and see what you detect. And there's only three things you do with that line that you write down. And then after that, you move to stage two, which is this verbal data. And in, which is like stuff like, you know, taste, smell, touch, um, things like that. So you start right. writing all that stuff down. And if you get an image in your head, you will draw it, a little shape, and you probe it, and you write down the information. If you okay. identify something like a house or a car or a person, that's considered analytical overlay data. So it doesn't count. So you'll put that on another side of data because you don't want to confuse the description with something that's already in your conscious mind that could be you know, from your okay. day or whatever. Then you reach stage three, which is where you write, you, you draw a pretty rough diagram of it. Um, stage four, you go back to sort of like some more verbal and emotional, tangible, intangible, all that kind of information gets written down in stage four. Stage five and stage six, I haven't done yet. That's going to happen next week. Okay, what's what's that? I, I don't, mean, what, I, I, don't read, that? I don't know what they are yet. I didn't read them yet. So is, is the goal of this kind of a training for you to be able to apply it in your personal life or what, what, what's their focus or what's your focus? His focus on is to get people to realize that we have, all humans have this ability. Now we are so much more than what we think. We are not just a physical body. We are a part of this quantum holographic field of probability. And we have access to it any time. We are not limited to just this particular time and space. But we have access to unlimited information in unlimited time outside of time and space. It, it, it fascinates me so much because what you're telling me, it, it it's always been on my mind, diabolically speaking, like it's worried me, not really worried, but I always knew the questions were going to come up. Like, how badly did we fall or blow up the situation of our pre prehistory that we are where we are? And it, and then just the there seems to be such an artificial suppression of like there's just no reason. I mean, we all know, you know, Live Aid. You know, we, we let's date ourselves some more. Uh, we're going to end world hunger. Well, America makes enough food to feed the world, and it's like okay. Why aren't we feeding the world? Why aren't we educating the world? Why is there conflict? I mean, it seems like, oh, you know, it's all very complicated. But it it also, on the other hand, seems very, I'm generalizing to get, get to a point, which is just simply that it appears, again, this very odd, weird, unnatural suppression when you look at these individual incredible superhuman abilities like what you're talking about. They're not superhuman. Everyone has them. They can do it and they can use it. Everybody in the class could do it. So I wonder 
if the reason everything is so chaotic or disorganized is to keep all the ants from marching back together again. I think so. I think so. Because one of the other things is because I got interested, I'm taking this class and stuff. Um, I was searching on Amazon for one of the people who, who had started this remote viewing thing. One of his, his name is Russell Targ. And I found a, okay. a, a thing. God, it had to be from like 1973, I think it was. Okay. And in 1973, Targ was talking about all this stuff openly. In 73? In 73. And here I am in 2021, and it's new to me. You know, it's the same thing with the MoveNet culture. I feel like there's a couple things. Like the paleo world has been talking about the relationship of fat and uh, brain entrainment and the way muscles and the body chemistry, leaky gut, uh, Dr. Alejandro Jungen's work, the you know clean, clean gut. And then, you know, the common vernacular of most general practitioners in medicine and their disproportionately odd relationship with how the human body really works, uh, the placebo effect. And then you start accelerating through these other things where it's like our relationship with health, fitness, breathing, Wim Hof, you know, superhuman, whether it's cooling or heating or inflammatory or all of these abilities or what people are calling paranormal abilities or second sight i mean fill in the genres and all of it it's it just cannot be coincidental that they are all connected to this not only collectively to other humans but to this in quotes natural system that exhibits nothing but the highest sequences of math Mm -hmm. it just it seems very well designed and now we have these abilities that just don't manifest for us easily anymore. Like we, or when we use them, they seem very, like you can see all the different ways that these abilities would be helpful. And yet they're only used in one particular, right? You know, right now we don't have a purpose. We don't. Maybe or maybe not, though. You know, what do you like, think? like if these things were developed in our, by our government back in the 70s and they were open about it. Right. Um, like, like what, like, what are they using it for? I, like, like it had to have over fifty years. I mean, they've had to have come a lot further than what they had then. It 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 does make me wonder how they even picked up the research because then we have Sufism. You know, we have I don't know how much you know about the Sufis and their whole collective dream states. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I have a friend who's a Sufi and. Uh, I think it's incredible the idea of like 40 people getting brain entrainment to the point where they collectively um, uh, they meditate, they go to sleep and they collectively share a dream and and in that dream state they actually move forward. I, I just think it's fascinating. It's just what what do we keep rediscovering and how often does some world disaster have to happen to keep all the ants from marching together. That's what that's what it seems like. Hmm. Keep keep everybody from dancing. You can dance. Some of you can dance, but some of you have to be like in complete chaos. You know, if it 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 feels like we'd have a whole nother light in the room on if everybody wasn't so busy, you know, or distracted that you know there's another switch in the room that would go on and it would bring another level of enlightenment back back not to but back to us. 
mm-hmm. from a forgotten state. It, it, it's, it's weird, though. Like, like you know, most of oh, us... Oh, you're on mute. Most of us have been left in the dark about this. Uh, you know? It's interesting. It, like, 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 if the government knows the truth about this, that, that we're existing within a holographic matrix field, and that we're able to extract information from it, and we're able to put information in it to manipulate it, that means our entire reality is probably being controlled by someone or something else. I hated the game of life, and I would really hate to know that I'm in someone's giant, highly technical version of it. Like, of all the Milton Bradley games, I hated life. <laughs> is, is it Milton Bradley? All I know is life sucked. I hated that. I don't want to plan life insurance. And, it, you know, it seems like if we were in a giant some teenagers or childs or adults, uh, you know, if this is their idea of civilization or, or empire or, uh, or, uh, settlers of Catan, you know, mm-hmm. we're in a giant holographic, uh, uh, some kids board game, you know, in the-, the game, the game of life was created by a mathematician, John Conway. And I'm actually really good friends with his wife. He passed away recently. No way. Yes. His wife. I know her. She is like one of my best friends. We used to go jeeping together. Unbelievable. Yeah. You you know the wife of the creator of life. Yes. Unbelievable. Well, that's not even... Do you know who my mom worked for? No. Einstein. What did she do? She split atoms. She would split atoms and and measure the output of energy and document it. How have we not discussed this? I've never asked. No one asked that question. Hey, (laughs) did your family work with Einstein or someone else? That means she must have known Bohr or Steinmetz or Tesla. Did she meet those other people? She probably did. She may not have known who she was. I mean, she was just sort of a lab tech. You know, she was just working at Atom Smasher. You know, smashing atoms. Like a press and a drill press. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it was underground. I remember that. I remember going there when I was a kid. Okay, did she retire doing this? No, no. As At some point, somebody else took over the project and hired new people. Okay. I, I, was, I was really young when she was doing this. You want to tell me about anything else she did that was spectacularly interesting like that? or That was it. Okay. Do we know anyone else that's a world famous quantum? You know, do you know do you know anyone else that we need to talk to? Just, oh, just that's asking. That's all. That okay, I can think just, of right now. I mean, I might think of some later. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was Princeton. <laughs> I'm glad everybody can hear this in real time. We're we're not planning this. Just we've all heard in real time that Gary's mom worked with Einstein. My, my my other listeners have heard it in other episodes. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, so I they, missed they it. Know. Yeah. Shame on me. Yeah. Okay. My dad used to cut his grass. You're kidding. <laughs> no. He mowed the lawn for Einstein? Yeah. Well, somebody had to mow his yard. My dad was a groundskeeper at Princeton University. Well, then he mowed a lot of people's lawn. Yeah. I mean, to be fair. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, 
So what, in reference to this remote viewing, how do you think it ties in then to, I mean, what do you think the highest and best function for it would have been in an advanced ancient society or I get, and then of course the same questions like I think they probably I, could, they could have used it for everything. They could have been communicating all the way across the the world, you know, yeah. from civilization to another, you know, just with their minds. Um, they may have been able to, you know, one of the things that we always say and we always attribute to aliens is like. Well, how did they know this? How did they know that? How did they know this star system? How did they know to to mix salt and water to make electricity? Well, they probably knew because they were accessing this information from this quantum matrix holographic field. Um, that's true. I mean, if they came here, they if there was like just an instruction set, like pre-made, ready-made world for a new species i mean that would be one sci-fi version where it's like you're literally the first humans pop out and they know what to do instinctively uh, well, maybe maybe, just, maybe even like that's the manual totally have given that description before i totally agree i think that's a great description of it but i, I you made me think of something i hadn't thought of before it goes back to muons and sharing space with uh different kinds of waves and frequencies and particles and uh, that muon study of the great pyramid that they did. Well, they've done a couple now, but the, you know, they found that hidden tunnel system within the great pyramid. But it makes me wonder if you have the ability to remote view and you're a highly advanced society that's got everything dialed in, it sure would making, uh, you know, how often have you taken your car and they can't figure out where the rattle is? I mean, if you had remote viewing, you would know exactly what's wrong with the machine and where. I mean, yeah. on a very practical level, you would be able to go directly into repair work. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the repair could be telling you what needs to be fixed. Yeah. Yeah, we wouldn't need all those sensors. No, you you would be the sensor or the machine itself. You would actualize the experience and the, the machine itself could communicate where it's broken mm -hmm. rather than just be broken you know we're making a, i'm not saying it's an intelligent creature like herbie or kirby or whatever that disney thing was about the car that was alive oh yeah yeah herbie was it herbie <laughs> herbie or something like that yep. you're reviewing our age again man oh i am i gotta cut this out what else, like the love bug or something okay I'm going to out a new generation. I'm at one of my local favorite coffee shops. They do trivia. And the trivia was, what was Shaggy's first name in Scooby-Doo? Now, here's the thing. I will not, for everyone out there who's already looking this up on the internet, I don't remember what his first name is. I thought it was Shaggy. But, okay. Now, this does two things. It dates us again, but this is some of the things that have gone wrong in our modern world, and I'm going to out it right now. Shaggy didn't have a first name because he didn't. It was when they remade the cartoon for what is now 20-ish-year-old millennials, they gave Shaggy a first name in the new cartoon. I did not know that until two weeks ago. And they had trivia, and they're like, yeah, when I was a kid, yeah, the the, the Scooby-Doo. And I'm like, 
old Scooby-Doo? And they're like, no, the new ones. I'm like, oh, they gave Shaggy a first name. <laughs> Bastards. Uh-huh. Yep. Boinks. <laughs> oh, I'm so high. I don't know. I can't do a Shaggy. <laughs> Doinks. That, yep. But he has a first name now. So if you get someone young enough, they're going to tell you Shaggy has a full name. And you get someone old enough, you're like, dude, it's Shaggy. There's, we now now we have an outing for both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> That's was, crazy. Yeah, but I, I do think this remote viewing is interesting because too often I, I the dialogues, you know, when you listen to Art Bell, and I always think about it because there's so many remote viewers on Art Bell. I remember when it became such a thing in the nineties and you know, it's never not been a thing, but yeah. I, I do think there's something super interesting about uh, thinking to what it would have been applied to not only in ancient times, but not, we're not at a point anymore where we need to rehash like I remote viewed and saw five men working on an alien in 1984 and like, oh gosh, you know, it was like, it seemed like the only remote viewing stories had to do with either that or finding Gaddafi or, mm-hmm. you know, like there was, there, there just seemed to be two extremes for the dialogues for remote viewing. And it was never, uh, uh, I think outside of military conspiratorial, yeah. I feel. What, what I like about it though, is you could use a blind target and you can give it to a bunch of people, collect all their information and then interpret it. That's how the CIA and military did it. And one of the things I was thinking is we could possibly use this for to help us find the cave of Kincaid. So I like that idea. You guys should bring it up because now that we're talking about it, the other thing was while we were in the field, it came up between you and a few other people. They're like, do you have anyone who can douse? And I, I do think it's realistic to try to use every method possible to locate the cave. Uh, we're going to do some thermal imaging when we go back out, but I do think dowsing, I do think remote viewing. I think, I think we should do exactly what we're talking about right now and incorporate, uh, this method and see if we can't, what do you think? Do you think, do you think you and I could do it? Like you, well, we, you and I can't do it because we're, 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 we're what we see would call front loaded. We would already know okay. what we're looking for. We want to give this target to people that have no idea that we're looking for this cave. How do you do that? Well, we 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 um, take down like a we we would uh, set the target, which is um, we would take like the, where we think the location is and what we're looking for, or or just even a story. Like we'll take the story of Kincaid. Okay, you visualize it. With the four, the the, the eight-digit coordinates, okay, okay, and, and, and you kind of lock that in your memory. You just put it out there into the universe, and then you take that four, that eight-digit coordinates, and you give it to these people, okay, and they do their thing and come back with their information. And it all like you basically overlap it all, and I, I, I'm assuming yeah. it's another skill set to just even interpret it. Yeah, right? there's there's analysts. And how do they? How are they? I, I, I don't know how they do it. I would have to ask Dave how it's done. I think this is. It. I like the. I'm. I'm super interested in the layers of it because, again, to me it points to a more complex ancient system 
that's always relying on interconnectivity. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, that's not just redundancy, but I'm always trying to debate with myself. And for those listening, I'm always debating, was our ancient past filled with uh, really warlike, um, very not get alongish groups of various people? I mean, do the, the, the ethnic groups of the planet represent really random races or are they really all in the great, great ancient past, you know, pre, you know, right now we have gene crispers and uh, different ways to customize babies, but were people really actually customizing their bodies to their jobs and, and, and not in a modern sense of like this group's, a, I mean, everyone on the planet has been a slave. I'm not referring to that. I'm saying, were they specializing for hot, cold, uh, various genetic technical abilities with plants and animals and frequencies and waves were, were there various human races like the Paracas? I mean, run the gamut that, uh, I think we already know the answer to this question. Yeah, I, I think it's <laughs> likely the tr- probable, but it's interesting. The question is, were they all evil? Are, no. Or did they... Mm-mm. Right. So it, to me, this just shows that one of the ways you naturally eliminate hostility is you 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 continue to build a society that isn't controlling itself through creating docile uh, primitive non-fighting genes i think they're i think they were constantly not out of fear but there was more strength in the interconnectivity and i don't just mean that like look i can see it coming at me with the bat and you're pissed off i i mean that the idea of raising an ill will towards one another was not possible because this kind of reliant this very single example shows the value of the interconnectivity of humanity. I mean, you, you have the analyst, you have the remote viewer at doing the remote viewing. Uh, you have somebody setting the target, but I think maybe in the day, like, you know, if the, if the pyramid wasn't vibrating with the right energy level, if there was something that was broke or not moving or a part off, I think that you could analyze it more accurately with this kind of ability than you would through just any other monitoring system. It just, I, and I think it'd be for, you know, if you, you were a, a deep laser cut rock cutting society, it just, again, it's, those are primitive examples because they represent large insertions of giant humans or, I mean, or tracks or, or machines, but uh, remotely you would be able to view a colony perhaps of, managed penguins or i mean animals that were serving purposes beyond well there's just a plant full of animals it just or bacteria or funguses that connect to tree networks and what there there could be uh interconnected information at that level that's being received from off planet because despite the ionosphere filtering everything out there's waves and frequencies or different planets um sending information that is being interpreted absolutely absolutely and and that's one of the things like you know i used to be skeptical about some of my guests who would say that they were channeling aliens from pleiades or syrian or arcturians and stuff like that now i'm starting to wonder yeah maybe 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 this it, it, it it very well could all be real 
Yeah. I, and I think that's one of the things that was a big realization for me is that it's not a matter of like getting mad at the person who believes in a particular religion or like saying your idea is stupid about um, paranormal activity or, or ghost hunters or like, oh, I'm an alien hunter and I'm a ghost hunter and I'm a paranormal person or I believe in, I don't know, the witches of Eastwick. Oh my gosh, I am on a roll of dating myself lately. I just this is wasn't like the, Cher this, in that movie. Oh, I think you're right. And she she was just on the cover of a magazine about her birthday. She's like seventy five. Yeah, but she, she there's something wrong with it. It's not natural. Yeah, well, she's like everyone says she's either a robot or a clone or um <laughs> uh so I I do think that there is uh yeah, now you got me thinking about share for a minute. I, I I do think that there is a a label that we put on our experience of banging on this broken technology that people have a, a view of it from their personal experience and they think, oh, you know, this is a paranormal thing. This is a, a religious thing. This is a, I don't know, some woo-woo, uh, whatever other thing. And, and, and unfortunately, due to our personal abilities of manipulating or visualizing and manifesting uh, creations, it is possible for us to skew the blinky board to kind of at least look fuzzy like the world we're defining it. But it's, I, I, I think that it's really fascinating that it's not a blinky board of one person's design. It's we're all in the same system describing the same functions with more or less woo-woo than the next. And in reality, the, the, the system's still working, even though it's mm-hmm. broken. But it is a single system. It's not a matter or, of... Or, or it's like you would say, it was put in slave, safe mode. And maybe, yeah. maybe it's slowly, or what seems slow to us, is booting back up. Right. And well, and then it doesn't mean to be diabolical, but then I wonder. It's like, what happens when one person gets too far ahead? Does it just say, you know, we're going to get there, but not yet? You got to get cancer, or you know, or does the system leave you out as an anomaly? Uh, Does it just not hinder you? But you, you know, I gave the analogy once. It's like if this entire natural system, if this entire biotech system in safe mode identifies you as more valuable than me do i get stung by bees when we're both on a ladder i i don't think so because every possible every probability has to happen see maybe it is back to that math thing yeah. and it is the square versus the pyramid yeah. in reference to ooh, it may have rules mm-hmm. so some things go into pyramid possibilities and and some things have to stay infinite and maybe there is a prioritization about the human consciousness and and maybe it does keep all avenues open due to the probability of failure due to external causes that this plant clearly has not always been able to manage which up to includes horribly devastating meteor strikes and again i can't help but think that if you're dealing with super super low energy frequency machines if you build them really 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 big the vibrational energy that you're dealing with would be, you know, subhuman ear, uh, super low, low, low bass, 
but is it also that these megalithic structures and again we're, we're just assuming they were using stone i think they were using other structures metals who knows but if you get hit by a giant meteor and you can't control it and you have massive amounts of underground structures and tunnels and so many of these ancient most advanced rock cut ruins are rock cut they are underground and you got to wonder was that just not only for safety was it you know was it lack of other bio resources because the planet would get hit and there was nothing they could do about it maybe yeah it's just it's just interesting like what how on one hand it seems like we really achieved a very high level of technology while simultaneously not being able to manage or deflect some universal galactic disasters like asteroids and meteors. Yeah. Got to wonder, you know, maybe we or, can't, maybe we, maybe we can't because of probability or maybe those things need to happen in order to us to get resources from those things that have crashed into the planet to continue to advance. You know, on occasion I've wondered that or if it was a built-in fail-safe, but the reason I don't think it would be necessary is because, again, we're Mr. Whether Einstein or Schrodinger, uh, we've reached a point where we understand that every atom, or whether it is an actual toroidal, a mini toroidal field or particle, we've realized that you can mix. I mean, that's the whole premise of quantum mechanics or quantum spintronics of quantum computing is you could grab any two, you know, you grab a hydrogen atom, you grab an electron you that's the whole point of spintronics the idea of the theoretical spin of an electron in order for it to be in a state that's beyond a one or a zero which is a fundamental to quantum computing and you wonder well what how hard is it to have the star trek food replicator or the holodeck when you can create anything out of any atom by just simply organizing the atoms and you know we had Wi-Fi enabled nanobots and nano factories that were made out of literally 50 to 80 atoms, 80 to 157 atoms. They had nano factories producing nanobots within a nano factory. Um, I, I remember seeing a picture in Kurtzwell's The Singularity is Near of they had taken 18 hydrogen atoms and did a map of the world. It was a pretty cool map of the world, hmm. but you have a very advanced society and our, our earliest downfalls in imagining mining is that, oh, well, they would never be able to create nanotechnology to uh, uh, the speed level necessary versus giant meteor hits the planet with 10 billion tons of everything we need and it doesn't get evaporated. There's... It's interesting. You know, in, in all this... Like, like when we talk about like these um, atoms and nano, you know, waves and all this stuff, you know, one of the things too is, is it's all, we can manipulate it with our consciousness. Without our consciousness, a lot of this does, stuff doesn't even exist. You know, and you talk about the idea of meteors hitting the earth, things like ha that happening and these pyramids possibly being, um, not just a, a, a model, but maybe they're made to magnify a certain frequency of consciousness. Maybe they were built to try to magnify uh, consciousness in order to deflect certain disasters. Oh, that's brilliant. 
That is a brilliant, Gary, that one's brilliant. Totally taking that. I'm definitely gonna bring that one up again. That that is a that is a such a brilliant addition to the foundation of the I think our most theoretical edge of this uh renaissance of rediscovery. I think that that again, I always I'm looking at the collective consciousness and I'm always describing it without going through the whole thing of just our ability to see complex solutions to creating nanotechnology or to uh, connecting to one another in reference to using that collective RAM to resolve an individual's uh, conceptual equations or errors or, uh, you know, like they're trying to invent something, but it's always individually. I I never, um, or not, or the Karelian uh, Aurora, the idea of the collective, like your individual consciousness interfaces with a consciousness that's individually yours, but it's not within your mind, that the magnetic fields around you itself are, you are a uh, a solid state hard drive, but it's not just um, existing in your physical mind. It's it's in this Aurora field. So the idea of that being part of a collective system that is deflectible or weaponized to uh, whether offensively or defensively to planetary or or city or state or regional defense. Uh, against an external, uh, you know, I, I usually described it before as like, you know, these big Greek Greco in quotes, Greco Roman amphitheaters, you know, if you, you have cancer, mm -hmm. I'm sick. We live in a super interconnected world. Nobody dies. Uh, but you know, we went through a portion of the universe and get all messed up from some frequency wave. And we end up in the, uh, you know, the giant, uh, what to us seems like a normal amphitheater of entertainment. And in reality, it was, a a sound frequency wave healing center where you're simultaneously watching some play and experiencing the play through synesthesias. And then uh, at the same time, you're, you know, you're getting healed from cancer and my disruptions getting healed because, you know, we were exposed through some, uh, you know, something we had not some cloud of some radiation. We had our solar system had never been through and we, you know, we heal through it. It, it never, ever, ever, I never, until you just said that, thought of, well, what if they were projecting that consciousness as another layer of protection uh, to deflect or tune or tune out um, something that would be harmful to either a group or an individual? I think that's brilliant. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely possible. I, I mean, these things could have been just magnifiers of consciousness to help us deflect yeah. things that we wouldn't be able to do. I mean, in, in that idea is so much advanced than what we currently have. It's very different. It's, it's such a, it's such a different animal, what you're describing, such a different animal. And, and I think that there's enough layers to it. And I think that's one of the reasons we have to keep having this dialogue. And for anyone who tunes into us, I think it's worth listening to everything we do because the, the dis personal road to discovery, it's not just about sorting out mentally. It's, it's physical ailments. It's mindset. It's, it's not a cure-all or a catch-all. But I think that the total who, what, where, when, and why of what we are and are now is related to answering these questions for each of us individually and then collectively. Yeah. 
Yeah, big time. You know, and you know, like like I always say, like like for me, like in this podcast, I don't want to tell people what to believe. Um, but my goal is to get as much information out so people can formulate their own questions and <laughs> then find those answers for themselves. Yep. Yeah. You you because everyone has the questions, but I think it shocks me. I mean, I, I feel like I, I didn't realize how lucky I was because I could have the the conversations we're having now. I had a group of friends that I could have this conversation with when I was 14, 15, 16, 17. I mean, we were talking like this for as long as we were asking questions. And there are people who, you know, they have an idea, they have a hunch, they've watched a show, but they, they didn't have friends that were having these dialogues mm-hmm. at all. And I, I'm shocked to hear that. I really thought that everybody like, I really did think that this was like a, you know, you go through that phase where you, you know, you're on some, I don't know, not spiritual, but in this philosophical discovery path. I thought that everyone has these questions. And then as you discover them late in life or that you have an interest, it's like, how do you, you know, cause something might ring true for you that doesn't have anything to do with pyramids or aliens or, um, you know, remote viewing, but then there's, there's a draw. Mm. And I feel like the, again, no matter where you are in an interest, it is a string that is attached to a quilt of everything we've already discussed. And you don't have a choice. Eventually, wherever you are attracted to and you start pulling that, you might as well start taking notes. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. That's true. I don't know if I asked those questions when I was younger. I had those discussions. I was smoking dust, so I don't remember it. Yeah, you were you were literally on the astral plane. So, yeah. So you were an astral plane astronaut. So, yeah. I just don't you remember can, it. Which is too bad, right? Like if you would have only written that down. <laughs> if I would have been so sloppy, I would, if I would have been like a cryptic language I couldn't understand. <laughs> I was going to say, I was about to, like, so you squiggled a line here over and over and over. What does it mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't believe we've reached some of the points that we have in this show. And I think that the, the remote viewing for the Kincaid cave, I don't know why we didn't consider it before. Uh, the dowsing came up on that first expeditionary trip. The thermal imaging's happening. I think we should talk soon about doing the remote viewing for the Kincaid, mm-hmm. seeing if that could come up with your yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to mention it to him. After, when it was, this is the last weekend of the class. So like, I know he's really busy doing the class. But once he's done with that, I'm going to send him an email and tell him about what we're trying to do and see, yeah. if, he, see if we can create the target and have some of these people that took the class try to remote view it as a target. I wonder, I, I guess let's talk after the show. And um, I'm still not out, by the way, with my notaliens.com uh, that you know, I'm trying to produce a better documentary and uh, it's been um, a lot of work. It's almost there. I thought it would be ready by, you know, for release this weekend. It might, 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 might happen, but otherwise I don't know when you're producing this. So, or when this one's being so published. What, so what's in this documentary? Like, well, really it's just, a, so for all the shows and for all the people who maybe are fans of everything that we talk about, 
this is a chance to present in a more formal way information that a lot of people have already heard. However, it's, I think, a more entertaining way to introduce. Like there's, you know, there's music. There's a very Ken Burns feel to it for the, for the images. And it's a way to explain uh, traditional archaeologies, um, everything we talked about from how they've really masked the true identity of this hidden in plain sight, high technology, and that the true missing point I think that no one's appreciating is if you start with engineered soil uh, and then expand out, you know, you've, you're, you're looking at a society that's managing, uh, clearly managing technology that would indicate such a high level of advanced um, building and construction that the remnants of these megalithic structures, you know, show signs that they have been rebuilt over and over and over by primitive people. And that, that, that none of these people that Victorian archaeologists say are the builders are it. So it's a way to visually show that. And so it's not like it's super, uh, it is new concepts, you know, with the engineered soil, uh, but it's the compaction and the management of cymatic frequencies and reference to seismic metamaterials as in earthquake construction and how we're seeing that in sight and a visual um, dialogue of some, I have some commentary going into it and uh, from Simon from, from a silk podcast in Scotland. And I, I, you know, dark hour paranormal, uh, Michael's doing some voiceover work. You can be in on it if you want, but the idea is to just, yeah, just to present this in a way that, Maybe somebody who's interested in the subject would not only enjoy it, but they're like, look, uh, you don't know anything about this. It's kind of one of those, you got to watch this documentary sort of things. Sounds awesome. I can't wait. Oh, I appreciate it. It's, I think it's turning out pretty good. I just, man, it's, you know, when you're doing all those Ken Burns effects where you're going left, right, in, out, up, down, and all around. And I, I wonder what it was like from the produce the civil war the first time it came out. I mean, I I love Ken Burns's work and I thought it was such a great technique to do voiceovers and and sound effects and to do that style of a uh documentary but yeah I don't know let's uh whatever else you want to cover or we should wrap it up and I'll talk to you after yeah, this let's wrap it up I gotta crash pretty soon that's dogs yeah and stuff like that uh yeah everybody YouTube not aliens.com uh YouTube or not aliens.com not aliens on YouTube, not aliens Rockfin. Uh, feel free to subscribe. That would really be helpful. Uh, certainly support the channel. If you can do a membership on not aliens, it's pretty much as cheap as a cup of espresso a month and uh, literally just espresso. But we got a lot of things going here on everything imaginable. And how do people sign up here? People just go to my website, everything imaginable, 2020.com. And there's a, button where you can push donate it's a paypal donation and uh i could use some gas money to get from alabama back to new jersey upgrade <laughs> especially as the price of gas keeps going up it's killing me i drive a jeep I, that gets 14 miles a gallon 
Ouch, man. You might as well rent a truck and put it on a trailer. It would be cheaper. No, the truck's like $850. I mean, rent the trailer is $85. Okay. We said a bunch of really cool stuff about remote viewing and the conscious universe and collective yeah, human consciousness and the... Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to leave our gas conversation until later. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Forget about you, Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jared. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. <laughs>